Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. And one of the things that environmental psychology is showing is that those messages around doom and gloom don't really work psychologically. It's really important to build stories and positive stories around the things that are going well so that people can really have that motivation to join in whatever way they can join. So awareness is really important. And I think this, this is why Solar Punk is so interesting because it brings awareness to some of the things that are happening, but also shows solutions. There's a lot of research on the importance of being in nature and also movement. Movement helps with moving some of those emotions and it brings us into a different place. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... Right now, things are very abstract for people. So the framing and the messaging have been around this global catastrophe. But when people feel more connected to these issues and, and, and they are more you know, it's going to affect them personally, pointing to how this is going to affect them personally and their circles, their personal circles, so their family members, their local communities, how things are going to affect them. Butterfly flits past you as bees assemble on some flowering bergamots to your right. This garden sits atop a building nestled into the side of a richly vegetated hill. Inside, workers process parts of used items that are cycled back into the circular economy. Their machinery is powered by renewables. Welcome to the solar punk world. School psychologist and emotional intelligence coach Day Sanchez helps people struggling with eco-anxiety and ecological grief build active hope. Part of this includes envisioning a future where existing technologies are upscaled so that humans live in harmony with nature. In other words, a solar punk future. They joined Ian to discuss the differences between eco-anxiety and ecological grief how educators can help their learners manage it, and why solar punk is such an effective counter-narrative. Let's start with a working definition of eco-anxiety. What is eco-anxiety? So, eco-anxiety is an umbrella term that has been used in recent years to describe a range of emotions and emotional responses to the awareness of the ecological and the climate crisis. But I would love to add a distinction between eco-anxiety and ecological grief, because I think those are two different set of emotions that require different approaches. Okay. So ecological anxiety, and I, I noticed the term is a little bit more catchy. Yes. 
this is based on a perceived threat. This is based in fear and it comes from a place of fear and worry or chronic concern about the environment and what's happening to the environment. And ecological grief comes from a sense of loss. We are looking at things that we have lost already in relationship to the environment. So this could be natural environments, landscapes, forests, ecosystems. And and we're also looking at anticipated loss. So we are looking at things that we are going to lose. Mm -hmm. And also for young people, for example, they are feeling the loss of a certain future. They are feeling that they don't have the same opportunities that their parents had in the past. And many of them are thinking about not having children or not bringing children into the world because they feel that they have lost that sense of security. And so these two responses come from different places. We know that eco-anxiety comes from fear and it needs to be addressed by providing self-regulation tools and coping skills to give the nervous system more support. And with ecological grief, it's a little bit more complex. We have different feelings and there are different stages that we go through. I see it as a spiral but we go through those stages with less intensity. But in my opinion, and in my experience working with anxiety and and with grief for many years, and then working with eco-emotions with youth and families, I think this is really one of the biggest issues and what many young people are experiencing and also what many adults are experiencing. They just don't know that this is what they are experiencing and they don't have the tools to cope with those complex emotions right now. And we will get into the tools later in the discussion. Have you had specific examples of loss in the work that you've done with people of all ages? I mean, have people come in, for example, and said, I am really sad because the number of Barn swallows, for example, Mm -hmm. has declined precipitously over the past 20, 30 years. I mean, that's an example that I can cite from my life. A lot of birds that feed on insects on the wing have declined so dramatically, it's like night and day. And that's in a relatively short period of time, 20, 30 year period. Have you had any other examples of people coming with saying, this is what I feel like I have lost? Yes, that is such a good question. So the more connected we are to the things that we are losing, the more grieving and mourning it's going to happen. And so for many people, maybe they, you know, they grew up in nature and they are very connected with nature. Not to say that all people are not connected with nature. We are all connected with it. But some people have more of a meaning Mm -hmm. behind that connection. And maybe some people grew up with forests around them. And and the fact that many forests are being destroyed, that has a huge impact on them because it's more emotional and more meaningful to them. So definitely people have talked about natural landscapes and the loss of uh, biodiversity or animals that they are very connected to. So everybody has different connections Mm -hmm. and those things are going to be more difficult for them to cope with because they are very connected to those things. Sure. Absolutely. 
When you have somebody come in and talk about eco-anxiety or ecological grief, what are some of the symptoms they share with you? So eco-anxiety feels more like that sense of panic. Mm. You know, we, we have that fire flight response. There's a physiological response. And we have that sense of something is coming to get us, something is going to affect us. And there's also anger uh, sometimes when young people, for example, feel that the threat is not being addressed. So their governments are really not addressing these issues. And so they feel betrayed. Right. So there's a combination of ecological anxiety and also ecological grief because they feel betrayed. They feel hopeless and helpless and, and they feel powerless. And so with ecological grief, when we lose something, we really need space to grieve that loss. And so we really need to be able to talk about these things in our own time. So we need to process those emotions as they come. And so this is why it's important to create spaces for young people. And, and this is why young people uh, feel so connected to the strikes and, and when they go to the protest and the Fridays for Future protests, they find other people that they can connect with and they see that they are not the only people feeling those emotions. And so they feel more connected. They feel a sense of community. Mm -hmm. They don't feel isolated any longer because when we are grieving by ourselves, it's, it's more difficult. When we feel that other people are experiencing the same things, that makes it more easy to cope with those emotions. Oh, for sure. And what sort of stands out, I think, about eco-anxiety and ecological grief is that it would be hard to say that they're irrational reactions to reality. I mean, with something like cognitive behavioral therapy for folks who are maybe suffering from anxiety, they're often assigned to search for overreactions or catastrophization. Mm -hmm. Yet this is a catastrophic situation. Right. And the logical response is to be quite worried. However, if that is so crippling that people can't get up in the morning and can't function, mm -hmm. it needs attention. But do you find that that's a barrier, the fact that these reactions really are justified? Right. That's a really good question because it is um, a rational response to something very abnormal that is happening to all of us. We were born into this systems and these different crises. And so we don't have the coping tools or the, the healthy coping mechanisms to cope with this type of emotions. And so one of the things that usually happens for many adults, for example, is that they don't want to deal with the shame and the guilt that they feel because they are part of the systems. We are part of the systems. And so it's not easy to just unplug or go live off the grid. Um, those things are complicated. We are very intricately connected to the systems. And so we have this sense of powerlessness and it's easier to not feel those feelings. It's easier to try to suppress them and to kind of look away right. so that we can, in a way, cope, but we're not really coping in a healthy way. We're just suppressing those things and they will eventually bubble up to the surface. But those things are a short-term coping mechanism that we have as an evolutionary response. 
almost like an act of self-preservation because we need to be able to cope with the day-to-day. But if we have these really strong emotions that are crippling, we're not going to be able to function. And so many adults, for example, they experience this. What might seem like apathy is really just a short-term coping mechanism to deal, quote-unquote, with life the way it is right now, the way we are in the systems. And for young people, because the stakes are so high for them, they simply cannot just look away. They know the feelings are so strong for them that are very crippling. And so they need to find a way to to deal with those emotions and they face those emotions and they find, if it's eco-anxiety, they find ways to act. They find ways to take steps But the problem with that also is that sometimes this can lead to burnout or overaction because they are so worried that they don't want to be feeling that. And they think that by taking action, that's going to help them cope. But when we overact, when we take too many actions, that's also going to affect us and we need to take care of ourselves as well. It's almost like a form of compassion fatigue that they are experiencing because they care so much about the environment and also what they are going to lose, that this can also, the other extreme can also be an issue for for young people. For sure. And we'll definitely get into later in the discussion about the role that educators can play in helping young people navigate those difficult waters of taking these important actions, but not suffering from, as you put it, compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. The strap attachments on your backpack are made from bioplastics that have been sustainably sourced from kelp growing in the Pacific Ocean. Their design has been inspired by nature. So much has been researched and written about the psychology of the various responses to climate change. What are some of the psychological barriers to engagement with this topic? You already mentioned guilt and shame. Uh, What are some of the others? Yeah, so that's a really good question. There are many common barriers to really just communicating climate and climate change. And in my opinion, that unaddressed ecological grief in combination with other eco-emotions is really the underlying cause of inaction. One of the issues is how these crises have been framed to us. Usually, if you're not an environmentalist or you're not very connected with the climate movement, people are not really offered entry points so that they can find their unique roles within the issues that are happening. So it's almost like there is a crisis of meaning and purpose. So we know that we are living in really crazy times and we want to do something about it. We want to be able to contribute in a way. But people don't really know how to get plugged in. They don't really know 
they basically are, are just hearing about the things that are going wrong and the setbacks and the failures. And so that has an effect in the brain. There are defense mechanisms that are activated. Um, it's called the doom barrier is one of the main barriers that we have, I would say, that we are facing because chronic stress or repeated activation of that fire flight response leads to a paralyzing effect. And so because we don't have those emotional capacities or those tools to cope with those emotions and the overwhelming and intense emotions and feelings, then it's easier to just look away. And one of the things that environmental psychology is showing is that those messages around doom and gloom don't really work psychologically. That approach has been framed in fear and it's not very productive. And so there are better approaches that show people, you know, a sense of community and how they can contribute their skills and the experience that they have, or maybe the, we we all have different interests and different affinities. And so it's important to know our audience and who we are talking to so that we know their motivations. We all have different motivations. And some people are going to be more interested in maybe doing beach cleanups, or maybe more people are interested in, in protecting trees. So really showing what are some of the solutions that are already taking place and how people can plug into those solutions is, is really important. And also it's important to make it cool, to live, a, I guess, a greener lifestyle. Yeah. So instead of pointing to the failures, it's important for people to understand the benefits of, of living that lifestyle. So for example, environmental educators who are wanting to influence school leaders or people who are in positions of power, they could appeal to what motivates these leaders. So for example, they might be more motivated to save money and to avoid risk, to, to mitigate risk. So preparation is, is really important. Framing things as preparation and, and being prepared, mitigating risk. So for example, we know that asthma is going to increase with pollution. And so that's going to affect school leaders and the budget. And so trying to appeal to them and pointing to the benefits, maybe having, you know, planting trees in the playground, it's going to be better for children and, and it's going to reduce heat situations and things that are going to affect people. So really making it personal for people and making it clear and simple for them to act, making things more concrete for them so that they can take steps. Right now, things are very abstract for people. So the framing and the messaging have been around this global catastrophe but when people feel more connected to these issues and, and, and they are more, you know, it's going to affect them personally, pointing to how this is going to affect them personally and their circles, their personal circles. So their family members, their local communities, how things are going to affect them more personally, then people are going to be able to make mental models and use that social context to really understand what are some of the steps that they can start taking. And we know that individual actions are not going to 
shift the trajectory of our planet. Of course. But the framing that has been used is that your actions basically don't matter and, and people feel very powerless. If you know that recycling is not really going to make much of a difference, you're not going to take the steps to do that. But if we show that individual actions combined with systemic change, the systemic change that is needed, if we show that this is having an impact and we are having some progress, if we bring attention to that progress, people are going to be more encouraged to act. But right now, the signals of progress are not really, we're not really focusing on that. The, the, the news are not really positive. There, there are so many solutions that are happening right now, but people don't see that because uh, the news is, the, the focus is always on, on the setbacks and the failures. And so people need to see more of that positivity and progress with regards to what is taking place and what people are doing. And also, you know, instead of pointing blame, making it in a way that, for example, we can say this school is doing this really cool thing with their composting program. They are doing something very innovative and they're very creative. And so instead of saying our school is not doing this, Pointing to what other people are doing that makes it more fun to be part of that. We're social creatures, and so we want to be doing things that other people are doing if we know that those things are positive and they are good. When we are told, you're not doing this, you are doing it wrong, that's just going to activate more defense mechanisms, and it's going to shut people down, they're going to tune out, and then that's going to lead to inaction. So really the framing, knowing your audience and and paying attention to the messaging, making sure that it's concrete, it's really important. I will also say storytelling. Yes. It's really important because there is a neurological reason why we react to stories. So the brain, the parts of the brain that react to stories are more related to emotions. But the parts of the brain that deal with scientific facts and logical thinking, they actually lead to inaction. And so it's really important to build stories and positive stories around the things that are going well so that people can really have that motivation to join in whatever way they can join and and reel them into this positive story or of, you know, humanity is going through these challenges and this is about building resilience and this is about human potential instead of, we are doomed. There's nothing we can do. Whatever you do is really not going to make an impact. So there, there's a big difference on how the brain reacts to those different uh, framings. So those things are important to keep in mind. Have you seen any examples, you could almost call them shining examples, of the framing done right? Yes. So I would say solar punk. it's um, one of the, I guess, more recent examples and and solar punk it was born more than a decade ago but now people are paying attention to it because we need that so badly we really need those positive stories we need that awareness of what could go right and so solar punk started as a literature genre and it grew into an art and activism movement so rapidly because people are needing those stories and and so Really, that positive framing is is creating hope and and the kind of hope that we need is active hope where we are actually taking action. We are taking consistent steps to build that future. 
that positive future. Because if we don't have a vision of the future that is positive, we're simply not going to be engaged. We're not going to be a part of that future. But if we, if we are showing the kind of solutions that people are getting involved with and we give people a way to get plugged in, people are going to be more likely to join. So yeah, SolarPoint is a call to action and it's also a source of inspiration. And I think this is why people are so inspired by it. SolarPoint, I would say, is one of the, if, you, if you're looking for inspiration or if you're looking to reframe things, that's a really good place to start. Even for young people, utilizing this type of stories with young people can be really motivating. And also with adults, adults want this positive news. They want these positive things. They want to know the things that, that they can do. And people want to be happy. People want to, really what creates that is having meaning and purpose. And right now we have, I think we have a problem or of a lack of purpose and meaning. And, and that's really one of the underlying reasons why we're going through a mental health crisis, a global mental health crisis, because people are not really feeling any connection to what they're doing. They're not really having any meaning behind their actions. And so people want to be doing something that they find meaning in and they want to have a purpose. And right now, what better purpose to find that what's going to help the planet and the environment? So yeah, those are some examples of positive framing that I find really exciting. Yeah, solar punk is just so cool, so exciting. It is. <laughs> hey, it's Ian. I'm just here to let you know about two of our newest books, Teaching Kids About Climate Change and Teaching Teens About Climate Change. Each one is kind of like an educator's toolbox with ready-to-use hands-on lessons focused on four core dimensions of climate change. Visit greenteacher.com to get your copies. We also have special rates available for bulk orders, and all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. The attachments loop and hook fasteners mimic the structures found on Bordock fruits, making them a fine example of biomimicry. I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball at you. Imagine that you yourself were a protagonist in a solar punk novel. What would you as a character experience? So this is essentially, what does solar punk look like? What does it feel like? What is the vibe? What are your day-to-day -day interactions? Just what is it like in that world? That's a really good question. <laughs> For me, because I'm very connected to trees and forests, I think a really cool story will be around saving or protecting forests. And so that will be around, I guess, I'm not, in, I'm not a writer in that sense, but I will create something around my personal connection to trees, maybe talking about how I first got connected to them or the personal meaning behind them. And then something obviously is happening to them. And, and, and so the story will be around creating that consistent action that can help those trees or the forest. We do need to know, you know, the causes of things and, and people need to understand at least at a basic level, why things are happening and, and those causes, but they also need to be given tools. So what could I do to protect these trees? And so I know that I need to really learn about policy change and I need to know, learn about 
the different laws and the regulations that many people are not aware that it has more economic value to cut a tree than to protect a tree. And so things are backwards and in the systems. And so people don't know that people are not aware of that. And so bringing awareness to those situations so that people can really see, okay, so this is these are my skills. These are the things that I do well. This is what I'm passionate about. How can I contribute these things to what is happening in the larger scale? So awareness is really important. And I think this, this is why Solar Punk is so interesting because it brings awareness to some of the things that are happening, but also shows solutions. And it uses creativity in a really cool way. It uses imagination. And when we are in fear, when we are in that state of firefly, the areas of the brain that are activated, actually, they are decreasing in size. So the hippocampus, I'm, I don't want to get too nerdy. No, no, but this is an important point. Yeah, so the hippocampus is an area that has been recently connected with uh, creativity and imagination. And this area of the brain, actually, when we are in fear and in constant stress, this actually kills brain cells in, in the hippocampus. So this is why the framing is so important because we are in that place of fear. We cannot be creative. There have actually been studies that show people who they are given a task, a problem solving task, but first they are shown a catastrophic movie and there's also the neutral. They, they are shown a neutral movie and then they are shown a comedy or something positive and then they have to do the task. And they have seen increases in creativity and, and the number of creative responses that people provide when they are shown that positive movie. People need to know that things are happening, but they also need to feel that sense of positivity and um, also abundant thinking um, has been shown to increase creativity. Gratitude thinking has also been shown to improve uh, creativity. And so these days, that's really what we need. We need to be on a state of creativity. And that's also going to counterbalance those difficult emotions that we experience with ecological grief and ecological anxiety. So that's why SolarPunk can really help address some of those challenging emotions. So the message here is we need much more SolarPunk. We need more images, more films, TV shows. We need to see this world that is powered by solar and other renewables. We need to see biomimicry as a guiding force in how we design buildings. We need to see green roofs. We need to see humans and other life forms interacting and not having this separation. Yes. The solar part of solar punk is quite clear, solar and other renewables. But mm -hmm. where does the punk part of this come in? I know that's maybe a bit of a silly question, but... Uh, some might be wondering. <laughs> no, it's a really good question. And the also the solar part is not only just the solar. I think people think that it's just, you know, the solar power and the solar technology. But it's also about this shining hmm. vision, you know, that the, the sun is coming up and it's rising. It's finally rising and it is our time to really come together and build that future. So there's a positivity around that image of the sun and the punk in solar punk it's about the counterculture and really challenging the status quo so these days it really is an act of courage to be creative or to have hope 
or to imagine a positive future because the systems that we live in are actually designed to make us tired and not engage and not act because it's easier for those in power to let them go with their agendas. And if we are tired and exhausted, we're not going to bother them. The punk in solar punk is about we are not going to let you go with your agenda. We know what's happening. We are going to take action. And it is about refusing that dystopia. It is about resistance in action. And so the, the action is giving us hope and is giving us inspiration that is going to sustain us to deal with the things that we're going to have to deal and to really go through all the you know, this is not going to be solved in a couple of years. We're going to really have to deal with these things for a long, long time. And so we need some form of nourishment and we need to be sustained by a vision that is going to keep us moving forward and it's going to inspire us. It's going to give us that um, inspire action and that active hope. So yeah, the, the punk in solar punk, I think, really appeals to people who are tired of the way things are right now. And they know that we really need to take a different approach because things have not been working so far. So we really need to get creative in our approaches and how we make an impact so that those in power don't continue with the same story of doom and the same story of your actions don't really matter. You're not going to be able to do anything because this is always going to be the same. So I think that, that that's the punk in solar punk. And it's also the, it's refusing to, to continue with the way things are. Yeah. And that's what we need. I mean, the current system can be beneficial in certain ways to certain people, but we are still living in this story of endless growth on a finite planet, which is insane. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. It just cannot work. It's not an ideological statement. It just is the way it is. And this solar punk world is such an appealing alternative where you have circular economic models and biomimicry and all of these tools that do exist all together in one place. So yes, I say bring on more solar punk, please. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I agree. And and this is why we're we're seeing an increase in in the attention to these things because this is not new, but this is really the timing for it because we need to see those stories like you said film and we need more media that is going to convey these stories. So art is a really powerful tool that inspires us and it's a tool for transformation. And so not only the art, but it just gives us the way to keep moving forward by having that vision. If we don't see, if we're not able to imagine those things, if we're not able to see those things in our mind, we're not going to be able to go towards that. It is about almost reverse engineering. We really need to keep that at the forefront so that we can keep taking steps to get there. If the story is doom and gloom we don't we don't want to get there no. we really are not going to take steps to get there and so that that's one of the main things with solar punk is that it really offers that it builds culture around beauty and joy and and, and it makes politics even more 
engaging because we need change in, in, in politics. And so this is really about bringing a more just and equitable future. And so this is really the way to engage because people are going to build that culture and that beauty around something that is not fun or something that is not exciting. Politics is probably not exciting for people. Uh, <laughs> probably not. For most people. But um, yeah, this is really helping people envision that in an easier way. And it's also a way that, like you said, by mimicry, it's just so cool because the nature is so... Oh, it's the past. It is so intelligent. And so when we see those things happening, we see that we are part of nature and, and we see how we are connected with the web of life and how we find our role within that web. And so we feel more a sense of connection, which is one of the big issues that we have right now. Right now, we are disconnected from nature in general. Collectively, we feel disconnected from nature. Yes. And so that creates that connection and, and really more tangible ways to plug into that larger positive vision. It does. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoor.com learningstore.ca So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent or just a general nature geek there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there Ian? Definitely. Thanks Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favourite podcast app. Looking into the distance, it's increasingly difficult to see where human structures begin and end. So blended are they into their surroundings. You pause to reflect on how fortunate you are. Well, before we finish up, let's get into some more advice for educators. I mean, I'm sure educators listening will jump on the fact that, hey, maybe we can include more solar punk in our teaching. <laughs> uh, what are some other tips that you would suggest to educators of all ages? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I would say to start with your own internal process, because we are all going through these experiences and these emotions of ecological anxiety and ecological grief. And so it's really important to first deal with your own internal process and to learn ways to cope with your own emotions so that when you are sharing information with students or young people, you can really come from a place, from a more grounded place in a place that is not from fear. It's not coming from fear, but it's more of a grounded place that is looking at things more concretely. 
and start by asking questions, meet them with where they are, because one of the issues is that young people are not feeling heard. They feel that the adults are not listening to them. And so it's really important to meet them where they are and to create spaces to validate those feelings and those emotions that they are going through. Many of them are feeling rage and they are frustrated. So letting those emotions come through and creating creative ways for young adults to channel these emotions into something that is going to be easier to cope instead of, you know, not not having a space to process these emotions. And so validating their emotions and really giving them explicit instruction in social and emotional learning, I think that's really Mm -hmm. important and helping them develop the skills, those emotional intelligence skills that they don't have. One good framework that I like um, is really similar to the framework of emotional intelligence where we have self-awareness and awareness of others or the emotions of others. And then we have self-management and then uh, putting all those things together in skillful relationship. Those are some of the main foundations of emotional intelligence. And the um, inner development goals, which is a recent framework that was developed, or is being developed, that adds some cognitive skills to it. So they are adding critical thinking and things like problem solving for people to really deal with these complex situations. It's really important for people to build those skills. So in addition to having a strong knowledge base around the causes, It's also important to build uh, a strong set of skills to apply that knowledge into real world solutions. And hopefully these are things that they feel inspired to and and they have affinity to that are authentic to them and that that have a meaning, an emotional meaning for them. So making things personal for them. And always there's a lot of research on the importance of being in nature And also movement, movement helps with moving some of those emotions and it brings us into a different place. We can access different things that we don't access when we are standing still or not really into movement. So movement in nature is really important. So taking a walk in nature, really working with project-based learning or service-based learning outside in nature, maybe working in building a garden or working to do things outside within the school system, things that are going to help the school, but that are outside and that are also giving young people something to care about. And that sense of stewardship and and caring for nature, it's really, really powerful because it gives them that idea that, okay, I am taking care of things. I'm feeling better because I am doing something about these really bad things that are happening to the environment. I'm actually taking steps and I'm I'm having an impact. It really makes them feel connected with nature. And that's one of the main things that we need. We need to go back to that sense of connection with nature. For sure. And you mentioned school gardening is just such a great tool. And there are lots of resources available at Green Teacher in terms of getting that started and keeping that going, keeping the momentum going. Mm -hmm. So I certainly encourage folks to get out and try to green your school grounds. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Any final thoughts before we sign off? No, um, I would just invite people if, if 
if anybody's curious about solar punk or they want to learn more about the movement, I have a really cool project coming up. It's called Solar Punk Generation, and there are different elements of solar punk in there. It's it's inspired in solar punk, so I will invite people to take a look at that and really just join the movement, look it up, and it really is a source of inspiration. It has helped me go through my own eco-anxiety and ecological grief uh, over the past year. So it, I would really encourage people to, to look at it and feel the optimism and the momentum that it's having right now, because we really need these things all over, like you said, all over the media and everywhere. We need to see these things more. Here, here. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for sharing your incredible insights about this very important topic that is affecting all of us and for taking us inside the world of solar punk. It's a really interesting place to spend time, even if at the moment it's only in our imaginations. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. This solar punk present was once the whims of fantasy from dreamers and artists. Yet enough people with drive and an innovative spirit collaborated to solve the ecological crisis that once faced humanity and in the process reshaped the infrastructure of a world that, while imperfect, holds an abundance of meaning and opportunity. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. that would be one of the coolest things is say, okay, these are some of the parameters of the world that we're going to create. So there's biomimicry, renewable energy, there are mm -hmm. lots of green roofs around, everything's based on a circular economic model so that it's not this endless growth story. Right. Create a story, create characters based in that setting. Mm -hmm. I think that would just be an amazing creative writing opportunity. Yes. And it would be so fun and empowering. It would be cool. It would be surprising in all these really interesting <laughs> ways. So.